0: Marijuana, the dried leaves and flowers of the Indian hemp weed, is used in the form of a cigarette. Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. Should you ever be confronted with the temptation of taking that first puff of a marijuana cigarette, don't do it. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Dorky 1930s guy says false things about weed, dude from 21st century pokes fun at him and says how lame this whole thing is, calls for legalization, and says why we should all be listening to the Grateful Dead on vinyl. Grab your favorite hacky sack and your finest Birkenstocks, everyone. Where can we catch Bob Snodgrass blowing some glass pipes this weekend? Thankfully, we're past the 1990s. Hi, my name is Bogdan, and I want to talk to you about cannabis. This is not a podcast about strain reviews, this is not a gross show, nor an unboxing of all the latest paraphernalia, nor is it a list of the best places for food when you're stupid high. I'm not aiming to encourage anyone to engage in illegal behavior or break the law in any way, shape, or form. My aim is a little different. A lot has happened since the 1990s. Many of you listening to this possibly live in a place where cannabis has been made legal, sort of and you can look back at the dog days of Prohibition and laugh and share entertaining stories about your experience with Indian hemp weed. On the other hand, Prohibition is in full swing in other parts of the globe, and people are still organizing, marching, and protesting for their right to access a plant that grows naturally in their own backyard. However, even in places with legal cannabis, things are not so cut and dried. Some areas allow it with no restrictions whatsoever, others are okay with only certain parts of the plant, Some places even ban talking about it or sharing information on it. And in some parts of the globe, you can still get the death penalty for it. First and foremost, however, the aim of the podcast is to show people that the cannabis plant is nothing to be afraid of. Unfortunately, this fascinating plant still has a heavy stigma attached to it. And where there is no stigma, ignorance is still the norm. On this show, we will speak with experts, activists, entrepreneurs, academics, growers, physicians, and patients from all over the globe to demonstrate the broad reach and importance of the cannabis plant in our society and hopefully clear away the confusion. Instead of just focusing on or encouraging consumption, the show aims to speak with movers and shakers in the cannabis industry in order to provide a voice to those who would otherwise go unheard and present a platform for connecting with like-minded people. Slowly but surely, people are reawakening up to the benefits of cannabis. We will try to connect with as many different international players as we can and contribute to the education, destigmatization, and normalization of cannabis culture. We are slowly approaching critical mass. And with that, I now throw my proverbial hat into the ring. Welcome to Critical Grass. Let's get started.
1: Forget it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical. Rise. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in-thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical. Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical
0: Grass. Well, hello there. Thank you for sitting through that introduction. Only about another 30 minutes or so to go. I'll try to keep things as snappy and to the point as possible so as not to make you fall asleep behind the wheel or wherever you listen to podcasts. On this week's episode, we discuss medical cannabis programs, brain trauma, and recreational use with an Israeli physician and researcher from Jerusalem. And by the way, in case you haven't noticed already, I don't really use the term marijuana. The rationale for that is a little long, but in short, marijuana is not a scientific name. It's a slang term that stems from the early days of Prohibition in the 20th century and has no business being used in a formal academic context. Imagine people referring to alcohol in slang terms in the news. Driving while sauced leads to decreased road safety. Or man arrested for hooch-related violence. Or a new Harvard study shows a link between shit-facedness and depression. You get the idea. It sounds a little dumb, a little misleading, and it's the wrong term to use for a plant that has had a proper name for a long time now. More discussions about names and nomenclature in the future, as there are a lot of terms that are confusing, to say the least. But for now, so as not to overwhelm you, the listener, with pointless drivel, let's jump into our first interview.
1: My name is Michael Dohr. I'm a family physician from Jerusalem, Israel. For the last uh, four and a half years, I'm the senior medical advisor to the Israeli cannabis, medical cannabis agency in the Israeli Ministry of Health.
0: Okay, in case you were wondering why you just heard the winner of the 2018 Eurovision Song Contest, uh, that was literally the doctor's orders. Well, actually more of a request. uh, I kind of asked him what he liked and that's what he told me. Um, but, uh, yeah, this isn't reflective of my musical tastes, which couldn't be more different, but hey, I am an accommodating guy, and I try to make my guests happy. But enough about me and my musical tastes, let me introduce you to my first ever guest, Dr. Michael Dorr. He has a medical degree from Tel Aviv University, a diploma in health services and in family medicine through the Israeli Medical Association, Uh, He has a master's in public administration from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. He is an active family physician and also serves as the chief medical officer for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, He's also the medical head advisor of the medical cannabis unit for the Israeli Ministry of Health. Wow, that's a bit of a mouthful, but an impressive resume to say the least. So I uh, first asked uh, Dr. Dor about his background and how he initially got started with cannabis.
1: I graduated uh, medical school in Tel Aviv, did my residency as a family physician, did my master's degree in public administration in Harvard University, and then uh, performed some high tasks in the Ministry of Health in Israel being in the last position being in charge of all the hospitals in Israel the director of the hospital division when i retired and everything is timing in life when i retired as uh, i was approached by the minister minister of health and uh, i was asked uh, if i'm ready to lead the medical uh, a cannabis unit in the Israeli Ministry of Health. I mean, as a physician, as a senior advisor. And until that point, I had no uh, knowledge about cannabis. So I agreed, I took three months to study the subject and since then, and that is four and a half years ago, I am the senior medical advisor of the ministry. I was involved in the research, in the treatment, According to our system, cannabis is still illegal substance, not medication yet. So we insist on production of the cannabis according to medical rules. And then the physician, the specialist that treats the the patient, recommends the treatment of cannabis. Of course, after exhausting all the usual accepted medication this request comes to my table, and today I have 15 physicians working for me. They check all the uh, applications, the requests, and if the requests are according to our instructions, they approve it, and I'm the only one to sign the license. This uh, unusual behavior is because you have, we have a lot of um, noises from the side, I mean, background noises with cannabis, for recreational use. Our government uh, decided that it will be used for medical purposes only, according to our instructions, not for recreational use. So my staff, they check exactly what's going on with the patient, what are the symptoms, the diseases. If it is according to our regulations, they approve it and I sign it. Now, we had a period at the beginning when all the physicians were allowed to sign the license. And they were intimidated by users for non-medical purposes. So the physicians said that they are afraid to be a target for many, many people. And uh, our decision was that I will be the only one to sign it. So all the pressures come to me and to my office and to my family. But um, I believe it was Truman that once said that those who don't like the heat shouldn't go to the kitchen.
0: Yes, stay out of the kitchen indeed if you can't stand the heat. Um, A very noble thing for Dr. Doerr to do in that uh, he takes responsibility for green lighting requests to prescribe cannabis to patients when other doctors were worried about uh, the stigma or uh, external pressure. So here he gives us a brief insight into how you can get uh, cannabis prescribed in Israel, uh, which is a model that seems to be working quite well, given that they have a conservative medical-first approach. I also asked him about the qualifying conditions for cannabis prescriptions in Israel and if there is anything they wouldn't recommend using cannabis for. If there is
1: one main contraindication for usage of cannabis, those are severe psychiatric predispositions and those I need to stop and of course you understand it's very difficult for me to explain in the media why I stopped to this patient. I can't tell the media it's a psychiatric patients, So it's a problem but we do cope. At that moment we have in 34,000 patients treated with cannabis with very good results 40% of our patients are oncology patients. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we know, it helps them tremendously. They can eat, they can sleep, they can, uh, they stop being constipated. It's but relief, in other words. It's not just a relief, it's a really huge
0: help. They can function in, in they daily can life.
1: function, absolutely. And sometimes people make mistakes because they see oncology patients, even the cannabis, feeling better, looking better, they are sure that we cure the cancer. And as far as we know today, cannabis is not a cure for cancer. But saying that I must emphasize that we have some pioneering research done by some scientists in Israel, but also over the world. One of our scientists took cancer tissues from pancreas, from colon, from different sites and took different strains of cannabis, and put it on the culture, and the cancer stopped growing. So it's not a cure for cancer. It's just a hint for us: look at this direction. You can find here unbelievable things.
0: Okay, so it's not uh, a definitive answer, but uh, it's a kind of uh, a positive outlook. Yes,
1: right? possible direction for a research. Uh-huh, Very okay. interesting. In other diseases, uh, 30% of our patients are patients with intractable pain. I mean pain from the back or from diabetes or from other neurological disorders. And if you give them cannabis, they feel a lot, a lot better. So 30 But at the beginning, you need to give them all their usual medications. Maybe not all of them, but at least try. And then if you fail with the regular medication, you can... Economies, And once again, we have very good results.
0: So we have some pretty good news as far as cancer is concerned. Um, but those people getting their hopes up about a silver bullet shouldn't be jumping for joy just yet. Uh, a lot of work still needs to be done before we have a definitive answer on the topic. But the outlook is pretty good as Dr. Dorr mentioned, uh, and we will uh, be discussing more of this in the coming weeks uh, with other guests. The other topic that I wanted to uh, mention before we get back to the interview is uh, counterindications for things like psychiatric conditions, such as schizophrenia, which has been one of the bigger arguments against the use of cannabis, uh, especially in the mass media in the West, However, this is more myth than fact, as a little trio of psychiatrists from the documentary Culture High explain.
1: I can tell you, that is ridiculous. We looked at the evidence. I think we must have gone through about 2,000 papers. And it doesn't cause schizophrenia. Maybe there are some individuals with schizophrenia in which the illness is brought on perhaps a little earlier because they smoke cannabis. There often is what's called a precipitating event. A precipitating event is something like uh, an important loss of a person, a severe car accident. It certainly can be exacerbated by a number of drugs. You know, a bad alcohol trip, (laughs) that could serve as a precipitating event too. The fact is schizophrenia has a prevalence of about 1%
0: the world around. Cannabis use, let's start with the 60s, it's gone up like that. So you've introduced this new thing. If it's schizophrenogenic, we should see a significant uptick in schizophrenia. We should see more people with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia has stayed just like that. In uh, all of the epidemiologic studies that I'm aware of, there is no uptick. So if marijuana causes schizophrenia, It was introduced, now we should have more schizophrenia. We don't see that.
1: We would certainly see some little rise in that, given the numbers of people who have used this.
0: So you just heard Dr. Lester Grinspoon, a psychiatry professor at Harvard University, Dr. David Nutt, a neuropsychopharmacologist from the UK and Professor Igor Grant, who is also a psychiatry professor uh, at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. Um, Now, not to downplay schizophrenia or any other psychiatric condition, but the notion that using cannabis uh, causes such conditions is just false. Having said that, if you do have a psychiatric condition such as schizophrenia, you might wanna put down the cannabis at least for a little while, and seek the help of a qualified specialist first. So going back to the interview, I asked Dr. Dore about opiate use and reducing prescription drugs through cannabis. We even
1: insist that if you give a patient cannabis, we expect the opioids to be reduced or will be stopped at all. Otherwise, what did you do? So yes, it is, and we have some kind of I can't call it a research, but I can uh, tell you that um, we made some kind of survey. And you see there is a lot less usage of opiates when you start giving cannabis, and this is also the purpose. Uh, one of our leading scientists, Professor Mushulam, who is the first one in the world to describe the um, THC 33 years ago, he insists that... Um, we should try also to find a way uh, to give cannabis for people to make them to withdraw from narcotics, because there are very competitive sites in the brain that, if you give them cannabis, which is not uh, damaging, you can uh, reduce the amount of opiates, and maybe one day we'll be able to use cannabis in order to stop drug addiction which is also would be a revolutionary direction.
0: Getting off of opiates and opioids through cannabis? Uh, yes, please. Though there is a certain industry uh, that starts with pharma and ends with pseudical, that wouldn't be too happy about that. I can't imagine why. Also, if you haven't heard of Dr. Raphael Meshulam, please look him up, uh, as without him the world of cannabis would be in a very different place than it is today. Uh, In short, he isolated or discovered THC, uh, the main psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, uh, as well as uh, endogenous or internal cannabinoids uh, in the human body, leading to a flood of research and other discoveries. And I personally believe he deserves some sort of Nobel Prize, possibly in biochemistry or at the very least the Peace Prize, uh, as I firmly believe he has contributed heavily to making the world a less violent place, though a bit more prone to getting the munchies. Yes, the
1: first, uh, once again, Professor Rafael Mishulam, 33, 34 years ago, he des- uh, described the C- the THC. He did a lot of research during those years. And until today, is quite uh, frustrated because um, that we, physicians, I'm a physician and clinician, we didn't follow his research to better, to further places. I'll give you an example. He did a research on mice 30 years ago about head trauma, brain trauma, and he proved that giving cannabis to head, to brain trauma reduced the damage. And he asked me, Michael, and we in very good terms, and why didn't you, you physicians, not me personally, why didn't you follow this thing further? Why don't you? And I told him, Professor Mishu, I'm a physician, I treat with human, not with mice. How do you think I can approach the patient in the emergency ward, not him, his family, is unconscious. And I him, look, I want to try cannabis on this guy. He's unconscious with head trauma, I want to try, make a trial. It is impossible. It is very difficult to make research for humans. But I've learned something else. Uh, two years ago, I gave lecture in in Harvard. I was very happy to be there. Twenty five years after graduating, so it's an honor for me. And at the end, they made a session for, uh, and they invited four football pra- players. I mean, they are very famous. I didn't know the names, but
0: the audience was. Was it these guys by any chance? Hi, my name is Ricky Williams.
1: My name is Evan Britton.
0: My name is Marcus Stelly. My name is Boo Williams. My name is Jim McMahon. My name is Chris Cluey. My name
1: is Kyle Turley. I played in one of the major North American football leagues.
0: I have two championship rings from that big game we play at the end of the season. In college, I won a trophy that looks like this. I was a punter for eight seasons, and punters are football players too. I also wrote the name of the commissioner on my headband, and everyone lost their shit. The men who play American football are subject to a life of injury, pain, and disease, both
1: during and long after their careers are over. And that's why I smoke pot. That's why I smoke cannabis. That's why I smoke weed. That's why I smoked weed when I played. It has, without a doubt, reduced the amount of pain I live with. It's my body, I know. But for some reason, the
0: major North American non-Canadian football league Refuses to allow players to use cannabis. Instead of allowing for safe, natural healing, the sport pushes players towards addictive, narcotic painkillers with serious side effects. So let's Let's get get real, Roger. Roger. Football players should be allowed to use medicinal marijuana
1: without the stigma of it being a banned substance. Cannabis isn't a drug. It is a medicine.
0: Unfortunately, I was unable to verify which NFL players Dr. Dorm met with that day, but this is what he did have to say about that meeting.
1: And they uh, told us their own experience, that after balls, and they get a head trauma with all the helmets, they have a lot of head trauma over there, they used to try cannabis after the game to reduce the swelling and everything. And it works, at least with those four guys that spoke to us, three were very, very clear and coherent. One of them maybe didn't get
0: enough cannabis,
1: (laughs) so it was very, very teaching for me.
0: An educational experience indeed. Whether it was the actual players from the public service announcement that Dr. Dorr met with that day is kind of irrelevant. The fact is CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, word of the day, Uh, is a very serious condition that could lead to depression and suicide and is thought to be linked to violent outbursts, uh, as you hear every now and then when a professional athlete makes the news after being arrested. But what does the NFL do? Um, Despite claims from players that nearly 90% of them use cannabis to treat pain and nerve damage, it is still a banned substance and it could get you suspended, as some players have recently found out the hard way. The National Hockey League, the other North American contact sport where head trauma is also an issue, is not much better in that cannabis is also banned, despite claims that half of NHL players use it. Uh, And the NHL refuses to invest in concussion and CTE research, uh, despite the efforts of former players to have the league recognize CTE as an occupational hazard. It may be another few years before cannabis is approved for use among football and hockey players, but at least we're getting some recognition among the medical community, and it's always good to have someone like Dr. Dor on our side. Uh, I then asked Dr. Dor about other groups of people that he and his team have treated, and his answer might surprise some of you.
1: We have two more groups which are worth mention. One is the treatment that we are pioneers in this field, and that's the post-trauma, post-trauma, PTSD, post-trauma uh, syndrome disease. Uh, we have almost two thousand patients treated because of uh, post-trauma. And as you know, we had a lot of people after trauma of the wars, the terrorist attacks, and another group which was quite a new one for us. And this is those are the victims of uh, sex molesting. In the family or rape cases, those guys, uh, women, they uh, get cannabis with very good results. We have almost 2,000 patients, and uh, they feel better, they sleep better, they forget the terrible memories, they can sleep. In several cases, I also approved treatment for very old people, and I was surprised. I asked, what, where was this trauma? And I was answered that in the Holocaust, in the camps during the Nazi in Germany, they suffered things unbelievable. You can only wonder how did they survive seven years after being the people? But at the end of the time, they start to remember everything, Everything surface, and they can sleep, they have horrible memories. So I gave, we gave cannabis to those people with. Unbelievably good results.
0: So, there have been programs in the US by uh, pro cannabis activists to help treat veterans with PTSD with success. So, uh, the use of cannabis in this particular area isn't uh, very surprising, uh, although it is still stigmatized. Uh, However, treating victims of sexual abuse uh, or sexual assault is kind of new, but if it can help them cope with uh, such trauma and sexual trauma can also leave horrific scars that last a lifetime, uh, then, in my opinion, it'd be cruel and uh, unusual punishment to not provide uh, these people with cannabis if we know that it can help them get over it. And the same goes for Holocaust victims. As Dr. Doerr mentioned... Uh, that kind of trauma can last decades and if we are aware of a substance that only provides relief uh, and lets people live a normal life, uh, it's a crime to not give it to them. So what are the preferred methods of administration by Dr. Dorn and his team?
1: We prefer to give them oil under the tongue mm-hmm. for absorption through the uh, But if there are people who smoke, or if they prefer smoking... I don't mind. We do try to give to the older people smaller amount of cannabis because they tend to fall and break things. So we prefer to use it very, very well. I always quote the American saying start low, go slow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whatever they feel is better for them. Of course, the difference is that with the sublingual, you need about 40 minutes until it starts to work. And then it's good for six, eight hours. When you inhale two cigarettes on through inhalers, it works within three, four minutes, and lasts shorter, three, four, five hours. So if the pain is the reason for the cannabis, the patient wanted it to act immediately. They don't want to wait 40 minutes. But uh, if it's older person, and he needs to cover the whole night, it's better for him to take it sublingual in the evening so he can sleep a whole night.
0: Start low, go slow. Can't stress this one enough. Although it's impossible to fatally overdose cannabis, the paranoia and anxiety that may occur when you take too much can be highly unpleasant, uh, especially for an elderly person trying to forget things like Nazi terror and genocide. But this advice uh, applies even to recreational users, as there can be too much uh, of a good thing, and feeling a little freaked out uh, isn't fun for anyone. Uh, throughout the conversation, Dr. Dorr mentioned multiple conditions that he and his team are using cannabis for. So, for example, autism, diabetes, uh, and PTSD, among others. Uh, And this made me wonder how uh, Israel, in contrast to places like the United States and Canada, uh, has made it easy enough for their doctors, their scientists, to be able to do research on patients in these areas. And here's what he had to say.
1: Well, the the first I have to give the tribute to Professor Mashula Because of his research, he's quoted all over the world. And in many places I give lecture, I am told by the people from the audience who know his name, he should have given a Nobel Prize. <laughs> but he never will. Why? Because giving him a Nobel Prize which he deserves will uh, legalize, will make people legalize the cannabis all over the world. And they don't want this process. The second is, we, had, uh, we put a pressure, we, I mean, the patient, the physicians, the politicians, on the Israeli government, and they agreed to let us, even Israel is a part of the International Narcotic Convention. We are not allowed to do it because of COVID. But the government said, okay, we do not change the convention, but you have the permit to use it for medical purposes only within the limits that the Ministry of Health will decide upon. So I had a committee when I sit about new indications on new research, and from that moment on we can use it. At that point we have 34,000 patients treated by cannabis, which is quite a month for the size of the population in Israel. Now of course there is another issue which is always adjacent to this medical part, and this is recreational use. Mm A lot of people do consider the medical usage of cannabis as a point of entry to the recreational use. I'm not part of it, and my instructions from the health minister are very, very strict. You do everything for medical use, nothing for recreational use. And I'm quite comfortable to go to the parliament with this position.
0: So, a research-based, medicine-first approach, and you have a successful national program for your citizens. It's incredible what a country can do when its lawmakers listen to doctors and scientists. Shocking, I tell you. So, what are Dr. Doerr's thoughts on uh, the non-medical use of cannabis?
1: Now, coming to the parliament, I'm always asked, what is your opinion about the recreational use? And my regular answer is, um, look, I'm a physician. I'm in charge of f- medical issues. A recreational use is not a medical issue. It is social issue. Must be decided by the social bodies, by the parliament, the government, the highest court. I don't know. Not by physician. Don't throw on us this decision. Okay. And then the parliament member I was asked once and second time the same question, and the question was, I rephrase, you cannot sit in the parliament as a senior delegate of the Ministry of health, not having an opinion about such a subject. So I said, okay, I have opinion. After saying that it's not a medical issue, I can say it like this: alcohol, you. The social bodies, you decided that alcohol is legal. It has a price with road accidents, liver problems, and many other issues, alcoholism. But it was a social decision. You decided that nicotine is allowed. It has a price, lung cancer, blood problems, heart problems. I can tell one thing. If your social decision will be to allow cannabis, it will have a social price which will be less than alcohol, less than nicotine. So, But there are no free lunches, another Mm -hmm. American (laughs) famous saying, saying, no free lunches. We should have a price. The price, as I mentioned, is those people with previous psychiatric preconditions, they will end in the hospitals. This is part of the price, but...
0: If used uh, in an unsupervised manner or inappropriately. Exactly, exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. So what I say, make your decision. A social decision, don't put it on the back of the physicians. And uh, remember, it is possible, but you must know the price. And... uh, the, the 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 parliament meetings for me are very unpleasant because we have many parliament members that are pro recreational use and uh, they are very aggressive when I appear there. Uh, well, Part of the
0: heat, as they mentioned. Yeah, it comes with the territory, as yeah. they say. It's a little unusual to hear uh, that you have a lot of pressure from the pro recreational side. Uh, most other parts of the world are in the exact opposite situation. Uh, But this is a a very strong point uh, by the doctor. Everything has a price. And if you're okay with the price to pay for legal substances in the form of road accidents, uh, cirrhosis of the liver, lung cancer, and a slew of other diseases, uh, then being a hardcore cannabis prohibitionist is a little hypocritical, uh, especially considering how benign it is compared to alcohol and tobacco. Uh, I was also curious as to how Dr. Dor sees the future of cannabis.
1: I believe that the uh, direction is what we call the medicalization of cannabis. I want to see it as a medication, proved, tested, and on the shelf in the pharmacies. Not in the dispensary and not on the streets. I would like to see it in the pharmacies with quality control. I would, like it, um, I would like students to learn in the medical school, because today it's tremendous ignorance of physicians. So this is the general direction. One thing that should be, in my opinion, the first step is to, make, to take the CBD out of the narcotic convention. It does not have psychoactive influences. If you be able to take it from this uh, international narcotic uh, uh, convention, then you can use it in many many places and use it safely. Mm -hmm. I mean, for food products, food supplements, for uh, cosmetics. So I believe that if you ask about the future, we shall have a lot more of ways of administration, a lot more experiences which diseases to treat. Uh, and as I mentioned, I want the CBD to be allowed to, uh, to more freely access, not like uh, the THC, which is quite entirely different story. And after the research research and exit, I believe that we should have a lot of more diseases to treat, even in psychiatry, which, as you you notice, frightens me very much. I believe that if we will find a way. To use the proper amounts of THC, and maybe with CBD, I really don't know. We will be able to control even those diseases that today we are afraid, like paranoia.
0: So some of the scenarios that Dr. Dore mentions are already coming to fruition, namely the medicalization of cannabis, as well as the availability of CBD products, which can be found easily online or over the counter in several European countries, with more on the way soon. But is this it? Is this all we are going to get? Uh, is there a reason to be hopeful that even greater change is on the way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I believe it is going to increase the whole this industry. We're going to increase all over the world. I believe that in a few years, the states will also join the world. <laughs> but uh, it's developing even in the United States. There are some uh, states that already are... Going forward, they cannot bank the money and they cannot do transfers from state to state. It is going on and on and it will be a huge industry in the future.
0: So let's do a roll call, shall we? In Europe, you have Austria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Cyprus, Finland, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg, Malta, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Poland, Spain, Switzerland, and the UK, which authorize at least some use of cannabis for medical purposes. In the Southern Hemisphere, you have Argentina, Australia, Chile, Colombia, and Uruguay. And in North America, you have Canada and Mexico, uh, as well as 30 out of the 50 U.S. states which have some medical cannabis laws on the books. Not a bad start. Hopefully, things will continue to go this way around the globe moving forward. And if the current situation is any indication of what is to come, Israel, under the guidance of people like Dr. Doerr, will be an excellent example of how to go about cannabis as medicine. So, here endeth our first ever interview, and with that, we say shalom to our distinguished guest. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us, Dr. Michael Uh, Doerr. And uh, I wish you a safe trip uh, back home to Israel.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. If you enjoyed that interview and would like to learn more about Dr. Dor or cannabis treatment in Israel, you can check out the website of the Israeli Ministry of Health, which is www.health.gov.il. That wraps up this week's show. Congratulations, you have survived the first episode of the Critical Grass podcast. If you enjoyed what you just heard, Feel free to share the podcast on your social medias. You can also send your comments and questions on the face tubes and the interwebs. Links to all those things can be found by going to our website, www.critical-grass.com. I've had a lot of fun, and I look forward to next week's episode, and I hope you join me. See you then. Peace.